have the honor of having with us advisor to the deputy prime minister of Mongolia, who also was once ambassador to India. We'll talk about government politics and much more. Welcome to Reason, the new Indians platform where we get to the reason behind the issues that concern you. Welcome, Canbold, to the new Indian platform. Thank you, Artiji. New India, welcome. Thank you. So I'm going to begin this conversation with a very commonsensical question. Uh, we don't really know much about Mongolia back home. And I want you to explain to us what is the democratic semi-presidential form of government in Mongolia? What does it really entail? You got um, democracy established in 1990. And what kind of government has it been since then? If you allow me to start a little bit uh, far away uh, from the democracy topic regarding our bilateral relations, which is uh, centuries old. And we are sharing common spiritual, historic, and cultural ties. And uh, you may find a number of people who carry on uh, names from Sanskrit, derived from Sanskrit. And even more, there are lots of words and notions in Mongolian language derived from Sanskrit, Sansa, Sajana, and many others. And uh, you know, uh, even before the independence of India in 1944, March, uh, Delhi, in the, Delhi, India hosted the first Asian relations conference. Okay, and this was before India got independence. Yeah. And it was just uh, intending to proclaim its independence and formulating its uh, future policy, how to relate with Indian, fellow Indian, uh, Asian countries. Then Mongolian delegation went Delhi, it took for them two months, and they met with Jagurallal Nehru, who said that uh, leader of the delegation, Jagural, and Pandit uh, uh, Nehruji also said that, my name is also Jagurallal, we are caring, uh, sharing the same, same name, name. Etc. So there are a lot of people uh, with Sanskrit names, and uh, there are a lot of notions we are uh, Yes, Mongolia uh, and India share a very strong relationship. And based on which our relations are established in 1955. Uh, uh, yeah. Soon after the diplomatic relations were formed, uh, then uh, Vice President of India, Dr. Radha Krishnan, also visited. And we also signed first cultural agreement, cultural exchange agreement, which is continuing on even nowadays. And uh, when we uh, were working on uh, drafting a new constitution, new democratic constitution, yes. in, which was approved in 1992. Mm -hmm. Then we invited the parliamentarians of India to give us some That's very interesting. advice. And uh, not only one party, but several uh, political several parties. parties, different spectrum of political landscape of India came and they had extensive discussions. And uh, they also given us certain good points, which is included in our constitution. Can, can you give us examples? For instance, human rights, political democracy, parliamentary uh, democracy, and uh, 
Since then, all these principles also been adhered, and now we are going to make amendments to the number of uh, parliament members be increased, and uh, then a constitutional, uh, uh, then election system could be also renewed from yeah. majoritarian to uh, proportionate, etc. So our political democracy, like our cultural relations, have long uh, background with yeah. India. So, so with the um, consultations, discussions with India's par parliamentary delegation, you set up a parliamentary democracy. What does it entail? What are the several branches of your democracy? How does it function? Explain it for our audience back in India. Uh, till uh, 1990s, we had different system. Single political party ruling everything right from kindergarten allotment seats up to the job place or lifelong uh, accommodation and food distribution, etc. Yeah, because then, Mongolia was a yeah, satellite state of the Soviet yeah, Union. Centrally planned administrative economy. And then we moved into a totally new system, market economy, political parliamentary democracy. And uh, we also adhered uh, human rights, freedom of press, uh, all these things guaranteed by the new uh, constitution. And uh, first, we uh, are proud that the electoral democracy, electoral democracy has been strictly uh, followed mm -hmm. on time and peaceful change of guards. Yeah. And now we have uh, many of them on the papers, but we have over 30 political parties. 34. 34 yes. political parties. Yeah. And they also represent different shades of their viewpoints, different spectrum of ideology. And some of them also claim themselves stand for the previous uh, administrative or planned economy. Some of them also saying, no, no, we are follow, need to follow the liberal democracy, etc. So there are different spectrum of uh, ideas, ideology. Yeah, you have a president at the top of the democracy and then you have prime minister. I want to understand how, how is the distribution of powers done in your semi-presidential form of government? Because both president and prime minister have executive powers. Uh, prime minister's uh, power is added last year. A uh, year before last, in our new amendment to the constitution, who is uh, also elected uh, from the parliament as a leader of the Wienum party in the nationwide election, is nominated as a prime minister, who is also uh, composed of his cabinet. Mm -hmm. And the uh, president is uh, also uh, head of uh, power, he elects the judges, ambassadors, and he's also considered a commander-in-chief of armed forces. But whatever decisions, decree a president made, it's a countersigned okay. by the uh, prime minister because he's a head of executive government yes. and he's uh, also catching, uh, clutching the string of a post mm -hmm. budget. So, uh, he is also very much uh, uh, responsible to the parliament mm -hmm. to 
implement the law and uh, whatever decisions made by the parliament, uh, prime minister is responsible organizing its, their implementations. So it's a semi-presidential, but uh, active parliamentary democracy. And how was this system very different from the system that you had before 1990? As I mentioned, uh, we had uh, single political parties, mm -hmm. which is uh, decided, uh, deciding everything, right from the minor daily issues up to the uh, developmental issues of so public uh, concern. So uh, imagine we uh, complete uh, primary school, secondary school, and everything is decided by the government. You need not to worry where to work or where to live. Everything decided by the uh, government. So were you, were you there part of uh, the government before 1990? Or yeah. You were? Uh, since 1980, I'm in the government service. So I have something to compare how it was yeah, and exactly. how it is yeah. now. Yeah. So you think that post-1990, it's been way more beneficial and it's way more productive, efficient, and has helped Mongolia economically and socially, politically? Yeah, uh, politically, uh, it's uh, much more liberal and each and everybody is uh, expect or... Uh, the freedom of expressing their viewpoints and uh, economically uh, whatever uh, we do it's also unless restricted by the law it's uh, permitted however we are learning and doing okay you know yeah uh, i'm yeah. also joking that we are for the first time living uh, so <laughs> we are learning you're learning uh, what about the judiciary where is judiciary placed and how, what is the role of the legislative and the executive? How is the bureaucracy chosen? Yeah, we uh, have three branches of power. Uh, executive branch is uh, led by the prime minister and legislative power is uh, 76 uh, members of parliament, uh, including uh, one speaker. Yes. And then uh, we have also presidential uh, system and it's a... Uh, elected by the nationwide elections, and uh, now it's uh, once uh, six years. And you will and have uh, next elections next year? No, uh, it's uh, next year we would have uh, parliamentary, parliamentary elections. elections. And uh, whether it would be on proportional system or as previous uh, majoritarian, it's under discussion now. And the uh, parliament soon will uh, make amendments to the law on elections, and likewise uh, to the constitution. And president is uh, also appointing judges and uh, diplomats, head of missions, and uh, is a commander in chief of armed forces. So he is not uh, uh, day involved in day-to-day -day fiscal or budgetary yeah. policy. But what about the executive? What about the bureaucracy? How are they elected? They are they are non-political parties. Yeah. Once you are in a state uh, government service, you are expected to abstain from political parties. But uh, ministers, deputy ministers, are politically appointees. Likewise, in India, you have. Mm -hmm. And uh, the civil servants... So the, the civil servants come through a process of examination or something else? In that uh, case, we are also having a very uh, close ties with the uh, 
Public Administrative Service of uh, Public uh, Service Commission of India. Oh, yes. Yeah, we are learning and we are also exchanging our experiences. So uh, our system is more or less closer to, to India, what you have in India. And very different from what Russia has and what China has, your two yeah. neighbors. Yes, we are different. Uh, we are building up more uh, civil service-based uh, uh, administrative system. In your, since you have had the experience of the Soviet era and the post-Soviet era, tell me how has Ming Mongolia changed economically? Whatever happens in this part of the world is uh, inclined to have direct impact on Mongolia. So if there is a fluctuation of prices of raw materials on the world market, then we also affected because we export raw materials, yes. uh, minerals, and uh, mostly coal to China. In future, we also uh, contemplate to export to India. And if its uh, prices go on, goes on, then we also own much. If it's also plummeting down, then we also feeling need of extra source, uh, source of income. So uh, we are very much tied up with the world market. And uh, <clears throat> one of our biggest export uh, destinations is China. Yeah, in fact, and, the biggest uh, yeah. trading partner. And we also import uh, most of our petroleum and lubricated products from another neighbors. Yeah, Russia. So uh, what are the trading routes if, if Mongolia is uh, exploring possibilities of expo exporting more raw material to other countries? What will be the trading routes? Uh, first one would be India. And uh, we uh, can uh, provide India with uh, very good quality cotton coal and natural uh, resources. But the trading route where... Trading route could be either through China or through Russia. And the, once we uh, bring our commodities to seashore, then it would go on uh, by sea. Yes. And... Uh, I suppose that would be China. Yeah. India also imports uh, cotton coal mm -hmm. and we export it. And we also have minerals other, which is uh, in need of India. In yeah, Indian market, India. yes. And uh, not only uh, mineral resources, we also have good uh, source of uh, animal husbandry based uh, raw materials like uh, sheep uh, wool yes. or leather and skin of animals, which is replenished every year. So are the governments of India and Mongolia exploring uh, such possibilities? Yes, indeed. Uh, the uh, carpet makers in Varanasi also prefer to import Sheep food from Mongolia. And uh, the tenries in Madras, in Chennai, also eager to import leather from India, or Mongolia, Mongolia to India, mm -hmm. because they need of it. They find the quality is good. And pharmaceutical uh, industries in India is also willing to buy raw materials, the intestine and other things, which is useful to produce the surgery okay. uh, threats. So these, these new possibilities yeah. are. And uh, uh, yes, there is a uh, geographic uh, barriers like barriers, a distance yes. and uh, logistic and transportation issues. But 
again, another source of uh, opportunities, they can be produced here jointly. And yeah, they can, uh, we are surrounded by uh, big markets. And yeah. we have also uh, economic partnership agreements with Japan. And we are also going to conclude similar agreements with the uh, Republic of Korea. And we have also very good relations with regional countries, even European Union. So Mongolia has just 3 million people. Are you looking at bringing in labor? Are you looking at bringing in human resource from other countries like India uh, and technology from other countries? Because you have just 3 million people and vast amount of resources and land. Yeah, uh, you are right. We are 3.3 million people and we need of uh, qualified uh, labor or experienced uh, engineers and IT experts. So, uh, investment, foreign direct investment uh, gives us not only uh, monetary uh, inputs, but also knowledge, know-how, and good experience, practice of uh, labor. Yeah. So, uh, even nowadays, Indian engineers and technicians are working in the southern part of Mongolia to construct the oil refinery. Yeah, India has a major oil refinery project here. Yeah. Which and is scheduled IT, to complete next year? Uh, 2025. 25. Okay. And uh, with uh, so much resource and with uh, such possibilities of expanding your exports in the neighborhood and probably beyond, do you see Mongolia being an um, important power player in Asia in the next decade? Why not? We uh, enjoy very good relations with all the countries in the region, mm. even uh, some countries isolated, but we enjoy relations, good relations, and who maybe we uh, need to trade commodities or services only three hours in the region, yeah. a three hours flight. So we are well located, and one of the shortcut route by into Europe and Asia passes through Mongolia and number of overflights also increasing, number of uh, turnover of uh, freight also goes through Mongolia on rail is also increasing. Mm -hmm. So soon we will have also pipelines of natural gas from Russian Federation Russia. to China. And again, we also asset with a collaboration of India, we also produce and going to construct the oil refinery. That would also give us another chances. So this gas pipeline from Russia coming into Mongolia and then going to China, is it correct? Yeah, yeah. So China is also going to import more gas and oil from Russia. Yeah. And you know, uh, we also, as you mentioned, we have large uh, uh, vast territory, mm -hmm. and we also have 250 plus sunny days. Sun yes. shines very bright, yes. and it's a huge source of uh, renewable energy, solar energy. And we also, since you are here in Mongolia in springtime, you might have noticed we have a lot of wind. Yes. So wind energy could be also another chance. So, so in which. India is also good. So India's technology and know-how could be also be a big component 
Yes. So with solar and wind energy, uh, do you think you're going to reduce your dependence on non-renewable energy? Yes. By how uh, much by, do you think? Uh, 2030, we will uh, uh, contemplate to produce 30% of our energy needs from renewable. 30%, that's yeah. big. And uh, we are landlocked countries, uh, country, but the uh, number of rivers also very idle for hydropower. Yeah, okay. So we are going to increase the number of our source of energy. So at some point, do you foresee that Mongolia would have the majority uh, energy resources coming from within? Yes. First, we need to uh, supply ourselves demand, and then we also be able to export, export? Yes. solar and wind yeah. energy. Yes, solar and uh, wind energy, uh, even uh, hydro. hydro. So you are going to shift from being an energy dependent country to being an energy self-reliant country. Yes, energy is a uh, uh, key of everything, yes. including progress and prosperity. So we are very much trying to build up our energy independence. Yeah. Uh, now, with China as your neighbor, Russia as your neighbor, two biggest nuclear powers, two superpowers, and China actually uh, inching closer to becoming the biggest superpower of the world. Uh, do you feel that China and Mongolia's relationship, which is very cordial at the moment, it can at, in the future become perhaps a relationship of competition? You know, uh, everything depends uh, on whom we are talking, and China is extremely big countries. As you said, it could become one of the biggest economy in the world. But Mongolia is uh, vibrant, but still young and uh, smaller. Smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Smaller so, economies can't really yeah. compete with big In that sense, it's uh, there are too much disparity. But we can become a very good. Uh, destination of new uh, opportunities, new chances, because of our location, you see? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, as I said, surrounded by big markets, and we enjoy very good relations in the region with countries, regional countries, and beyond. Mm -hmm. And we have also good, uh, very richly endowed with mineral and other resources. Uh, let me make a very different argument uh, in favor of smaller countries mm -hmm. and smaller economies. If you look at Europe today, if you look at United Kingdom, if you look at France, if you look at Germany, very small economies, but very powerful economies. Do you think that Mongolia could be in that kind of a situation at some stage? Why not? We also very... Uh opportunity uh, have op good opportunities of uh, very well educated people uh, and uh, now we are talking about not only literacy rate but uh, computer literacy mm -hmm. and our digital uh, sector is also very vibrant and now we are possessing uh, the new advancement so it could be also area of our advantage and then we also 
a good chance. So once I said, uh, short truth passing through Mongolia, binding Europe and Asia, it could be also very good entertainment center. Yes. It could be also a very good location for data centers. And tourist destination? Tourist could... destination as well. So in order to uh, become uh, vibrant, we are not trying to compete, but we are to complement other countries. So you have a north-south corridor uh, between Russia and China. Do you envisage or envision an east-west corridor through Mongolia? Yeah. Uh, in the ancient time, uh, the Silk Road Silk also Road. passes through. And again, it's one of the shortest routes. So uh, whoever travels, they prefer to take a shortest route. And Mongolia is also one uh, country which is, has a liberal visa system. And recently we announced uh, some uh, 90 countries to visit Mongolia. Citizens of these countries visit Mongolia free of uh, visa. Yeah. And we announced uh, a year of 23 till 2025 20, as a visit Mongolia year. Yeah. And then whoever uh, wishes to visit, they can apply uh, even electronic visa. So the people uh, holding Indian passports can visit without difficulty. So what are the areas where India and Mongolia uh, have already established a very strong relationship in the last 30 years? And what are the areas where India and Mongolia can uh, look at possibilities for future relationship? We are interacting with uh, India on human res uh, resource uh, development. And uh, students and postgraduate students also studying in India and engineers and uh, civil servants also improving their qualifications, uh, going through various training courses in India. and. Uh, so it's one of the area where we are very effectively working together. And then uh, another area could be uh, mining. Mining. Mining right from exploration and exploitation, even uh, the exporting and the processing could be. So raw material goes to India yeah. and it gets processed there? Uh, from there, or it could be even processed here, here. and yeah. then uh, it would also save uh, expenses. Okay, so you will need Indian resource, human resource. Yeah, for instance, I said that uh, we could export uh, cooking coal mm -hmm. and it could be washed, the uh, values could be added and then uh, sent to India. Yes. It's uh, only one example. Mm -hmm. And then IT could be also another area. Uh, IT and uh, even space. Space could be. Yeah, Mon what are Mongolia's space ambitions and science ambitions in science, technology, and space? Where does Mongolia stand today? Yeah, it's a vast territory, one of the sparsely populated area. So, uh, communication and uh, uh, internet link, even space. Uh, Connectivity could be also a very uh, promising area for us. Okay. And remote sensing, if we want to exploit uh, other resources in, in the 
they'll find out what we have in the natural resources, then this remote sensing could be also area. Is India and Mongolia uh, talking about this issue? Yes, we already uh, concluded some agreements and the MOU. Okay. So there is also some initial uh, efforts made by both sides. Um, so Mongolia, we never hear anything about Mongolia's armed forces. Mongolia has not been in any conflict since its independence. And we never hear anything about armed forces. What is the um, status of armed forces? And do Mongolia's armed forces collaborate with Chinese and Russian armed forces? Yes, uh, we do uh, collaborate with these countries in the field of uh, armed forces and as well as with India. And our armed uh, uniformed officers are uh, already uh, well experienced in international or UN peacekeeping operations per capita of uh, number of peacekeepers. We are one of the leading countries in the UN, among the UN. Okay. So uh, our uniformed uh, officers also visit India and do some bilateral drilling. How big is the armed force of Mongolia? It's uh, pretty uh, reasonable within the, our small number of population. Yeah, but you have air force as well as the uh, territorial. Yes, we have. Uh, uh, armed forces, and then we have National Guard kind of things, internal uh, purpose, and we have also police forces, which is also in a, a pretty comparative size with uh, armed forces. And the training of your armed forces happens in Mongolia. And what kind of technology or technological level do your armed forces have today? Yeah, we uh, do send our uh, commanding officers to other foreign countries, including India, and uh, we have conscriptive service. Oh, you have? Uh, and one year, everyone is uh, entitled to serve in the armed forces. And uh, after, this is after school, after college? Uh, it's uh, after uh, 21 years. Okay, after 21 And then uh, there are also options if uh, one wants to work uh, in the civil defense or the emergency management areas, they can also work for one year. And then it's considered as a serving in the armed forces. Uh, if one, because of religious and other spiritual reasons, not eager to work in the armed forces, then they can also make a compensate, uh, payment. Okay, they get compensated. Yeah, maybe medical reasons or belief or faith, one doesn't want to serve, then they can uh, pay. Okay, with so much uh, conflict going on in the neighborhood, we have a war going on in Ukraine. We also hear a lot of uh, people saying that China is going to take Taiwan. Do you feel Mongolia has a role of a peacemaker in the region? And do you think that you are able, you can, or probably are able to bring China and um, China and Taiwan closer, Ukraine and Russia closer? 
RTG, fortunately, we have very good uh, relations with uh, both of our neighbors, and we have also no border or territorial disputes. Yeah. We have demarcated our border with two of our neighbors, and we uh, recognize one China policy. And uh, there is uh, not that uh, concern. So we uh, have economic and commercial ties with Taiwan, but yes. no political links. And Mongolia stands by one China policy. One China policy. But uh, with the war in Ukraine, do you think this is going to affect the region? Do you think it's going to have negative consequences for Asia? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, now the uh, world becoming flat. Whatever happens, one or another part of the world also definitely uh, affect other countries. So we have uh, very much concern regarding what happens in Ukraine. Uh, there should be principles. One, should, one cannot bully others, smaller countries. We need to respect one another's uh, territorial and uh, uh, territorial integrity and border, etc. So whatever happens, that part of the world is very much causing concern to us. Uh, is just concern or is it affecting Mongolia or other countries economically? On 26, uh, 26 April, there was a UN General Assembly also uh, uh, debated one resolution recognizing Russian Federation as an aggressor. So we supported that resolution. Okay, so you're, you were taking a very clear position on, on it. Uh, how is Mongolia's relationship with the United States of America? Yeah, uh, right from uh, 1990s, our relations, even before 1990s, 88, we established uh, diplomatic relations. We recognized oh. United States. Oh, okay, even as <laughs> and, a part of uh, yeah, being Soviet and uh, It's a free world and uh, it's also democracy, so we enjoy very good relations, close relations. Recently, a high-level uh, State Department officials also came and uh, they visit, we ex uh, exchange our delegations. With the US-China Cold War happening, it's almost like Cold War, and we also have a war going on in Europe. Do you think there will be a lot of pressure mounted on Mongolia from China, United States, Russia? Well, uh, I'm, I was in the foreign service and uh, decades, but I haven't been uh, witnessing that much pressure. But the uh, interests of uh, countries definitely uh, trying to explain themselves, trying to impose, and we also stakehold our positions. And your position, of course, is that you're friends with both China and Russia. Yeah, and we, we uh, you know, uh, have equidistant relations with both of our neighbors. And at the same time, we have concepts of third neighbors, including third India, India including other countries and international organizations. Uh, but if, U.S. and China get locked into a confrontation. 
do you think it's going to hurt Asia as a whole and Mongolia in any way? RTG, I cannot uh, be involved in speculative things. Yes. You see, if uh, certain things happens, then we will definitely uh, formulate our positions and we take up our uh, standard. But I cannot yeah, say, cannot, right? Yeah, hypothetical. Uh, this is uh, too uh, and. Uh, but so far, with even let's keep the hypo hypothesis aside, but even as there is a crisis, a kind of tension between the US and China, it hasn't really affected Mongolia. No, no, not affected. But I'm convinced that uh, every country, regardless of their size or locations, they need to have a position of principles. Yes. You see, principles. So we do. So when you say position of principles, what principles are involved here? It's uh, not like a principles which uh, countries had uh, in uh, at the time of Cold War. Yeah. Uh, one uh, or another. Yeah, one very, block uh, or the other block. Animous, uh, two blocks. Yes. But we are now free of that ideology-oriented uh, positions, politics. So, uh, are we saying that we really are now in a multipolar world? Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. India is becoming one of the largest in the population, and its economic might is also increasing. So, India has become one of the many centers in the world. Yeah. And therefore, you don't think the world is going to get once again divided in two blocks uh, or bipolar world. You think that multipolarity is the way ahead? It's a reality whether we want or not, it's a multipolar. And we have to also uh, learn to exist and interact with multipolar world. But it's very Previously, uh, the countries uh, more or less uh, pursued the mentality of Cold War, warring uh, psychology. But now we are free from that. At least Mongolia is. Uh, At least Mongolia yeah. is and India is. I think there uh, are a bunch of countries who remain, who have tried to stay in that neutral zone and who have remained, tried to remain equidistant. Yeah. You know, uh, you also mentioned that Mongolia is surrounded by nuclear powers. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are. But Mongolia announced, uh, 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 claimed itself free from nuclear weapons. Yes. So we are not uh, allowed to transit even uh, to station uh, even nuclear weapons in our territory. But uh, that brings me to this uh, question. Is Mongolia not exploring nuclear energy for energy purposes? Yeah, definitely for peaceful Civil, means, yeah. peaceful purpose. We are also uh, willing to possess the a new source of energy, which is ecolog ecologically clean and more effective. So who knows, after a short uh, while, we may become, uh, use uh, this nuclear energy as a new source of energy. So there are lots of possibilities Indeed. for Mongolia. Indeed. Yeah, we also have good uh, deposit of raw materials. In yes, this uranium. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, which you, I mean, you have so much that you can export also. Yeah. If one is willing, then it can be. We uh, 
have several deposits and the countries also express their interests to work. Okay. Yeah. So one last question. Your government, uh, you're part of the current government. Uh, you, are you expecting to come back to power in the next election? Uh, you know, uh, every uh, person in political life also expect to extend their longevity. Yes. But I'm just civil servant. Though I'm uh, working with politicians, yes. and uh, I'm not uh, giving much preference to one or another. Okay. And whoever has, uh, whatever political party has a more clear-cut uh, roadmap or platforms, they would win. They would win. And secondly, uh, the majority part of population are young, youth. Youth. So whoever also uh, stand up for the youth, welfare or their economic and social interests, they might get more support. More support. Okay, that's yeah. a very important point. Yeah, and uh, 25 to 27 years old youth are very big portion huge, in the population. Yeah. Yes. So they will have decisive voting, and then women also become more influential. Yes. They are well educated. They are also very active in political life. In in this government yeah. as well. Yeah. So we have less number of, only 17% uh, of uh, MPs are women, but uh, we need to increase the number. And that's civil why, servants? Uh, yeah, that's why uh, in the election law amendments would increase the portion, uh, the uh, percentage of women candidates up okay. to 30. So you're giving some reservations? Yeah. 30% at least candidates, 30 to 40%. Candidate. Some political parties say, no, no, it should be no less than 40%. And the majority of the political parties saying at least 30%. One so there's gender. a consensus almost building yeah. around yeah. 30%. Yeah, in a month or two, it will be formulated. It will be agreed. So this is yeah. happening. So a lot of political parties have a good agenda for women welfare. They may get also prevailing support. Okay. And uh, with the uh, women and youth, what are the social welfare programs of the government? You know, we have also big number of uh, children and families. Those have a uh, number of children also get some monetary incentives and uh, other things. So certain people also criticizing, we are giving them very moral hazards. hazards. Mm -hmm. So we give them job opportunities, etc. So there are different opinions. Okay. But and I think uh, social welfare should be given to uh, the well-focused, to vulnerable part. Okay, economically. Economically, yeah. And families with a number of children need to be supported. Supported. It's not easy. So this is this government's opinion as well? Yeah. Government uh, giving this person monetary uh, support to families, to children. Okay. Children. So you, you, but you have a program. You have yeah. some kind of. Ninety, ninety-one percent of children get monetary uh, support, uh, cash support from cash the support. government. And why uh, remaining nine percent? Because they are considered well-to-do families, oh. affluent. 
91%. And people saying uh, children should be treated equally. But again, the government saying we need to save uh, money to other purposes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but 91 is still a big number. Yes, that's yeah. a big number. What about women empowerment? You said they are very active in politics, um, but are they also in civil services? Yes, in civil services, particularly in the field of health and education, women, women are prevailing. Okay. In the tertiary education, also number of uh, female students also exceeding the number of male students. But in the decision-making process, the government, executive powers, the number of uh, women ministers are not many, maybe two or three out of 21 or something. Okay, well, that's an election uh, At least uh, three to four women ministers we have, and 17% uh, of MPs also from fine sex. So we need to increase. Well, on that uh, positive note, I thank you for this conversation, and I wish you and uh, your government all the best. Thank you, RTG, and uh, New India readers and viewers, I also wish all the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.